Alliance Physical Therapy Partners and Agile Virtual Care proudly presents Agile and Me, a physical therapy leadership podcast series, a podcast device to help emerging and experienced therapy leaders learn more about various topics relevant to outpatient therapy services. Welcome back to Agile Me, a physical therapy podcast series. I'm excited to have Pat Green this episode. Pat is the owner of Chautauqua PT in New York State. Uh, did I say that correct, Pat? It's pronounced slightly different. It's Chautauqua PT, OT, and SLP. Okay. All right. I was close. So, uh... Yes, I understand. <laughs> I know. It's close. It's... <laughs> well, Fantastic to chat with you today. I'm really excited to speak with a success clinic or multi-clinic owner. So before we dive in and, and really look at what the keys to your success have been, would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners perhaps? Sure. First off, I would like to thank you for, for having me on. I have listened to your podcast and I think they're real, they're real helpful to clinic owners and to people that are trying to learn more about how to run their practice or to have some insight into the future of what our profession is going through. So, so thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Pat. I uh, was very kind. I didn't even pay you anything for that. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Patrick Green. I am a doctor of physical therapy. I'm originally from the Buffalo area and my wife and I, she is a pediatric pediatric occupational therapist and uh, we have been together a long time. We met in first grade and we then dated and married in high school and college and we both had an interest in having our own practice. So we started our practice in 1996 in uh, Jamestown, New York and I had spent a year in the area kind of learning the market a bit uh, working in home health and we realized that there was a lot of opportunity in this rural part of New York State. We initially opened up in a 1,400 square foot practice where we took care of everything, you know, from soup to nuts. We took care of the practice, the billing, the front desk, the marketing, patient care, and we were very fortunate that we were able to surround ourselves with good employees over the years, and we had opportunities to grow and expand. And in 2006, we moved into a much larger 5,000-square-foot facility with some opportunity to obviously grow our practice. So with that growth came growing pains as well, but we learned a lot as we went through that, and now we're we actually have three outpatient clinics, and in the last month, we opened up a small pediatric outpatient facility as well. Congrats. I, I didn't realize you'd actually been in practice, in private practice, for quite so long. So I've certainly seen a lot of changes in that time, I'm sure. Yes. yes. Uh, there's a couple of things as I kind of prepared for the uh, conversation we were going to have is that I had to look back and one of the issues was different roadblocks that have come up and, and different obstacles. And over 25 years, there's definitely some of those that have come up. Absolutely. So, Pat, given the longevity, I'm sure that a lot has occurred along the journey of creating your practice. What perhaps would you say you're most proud of overall? I know that's a tough question because it's quite a, spans quite a period of time, doesn't it? But what would you say was, was the proudest moment? 
I'll speak specifically as far as my business part of my, you know, the physical therapy clinics. We've really been able to, obviously, over 25 years of practice and the growth that we've had, there's no question I'm proud that we have some beautiful clinics and things like that. But truly, the people that we've been uh, able to be associated with, our employees, we have four physical therapists that worked for us at one point that now own their own clinics. We have multiple PT assistants that have worked for us that have gone back to school to become DPTs. And we've had multiple uh, students and aides that came to us in high school and worked for us maybe for a year or two on their summers in college that went on to become either physical therapy assistants or, or uh, doctors in physical therapy. The impact that we've had on those people's lives is I'm really proud of. I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to help people find a career and help people expand their own goals and, and meet their goals. Last year, we also were able to see 42,000 visits. And I, and I thought, there's a lot of people. This is a small county that we work in, and that's, that's a lot of visits in this area. So we are proud of that as well. Can you remember your first patient all those years ago? It's funny, isn't it? You know, going from one, what, the first visit to 42,000, that's quite a journey. <laughs> it, it was. And actually, we, there's a few patients that I see now and again that were in my old office in the beginning because we saw two or three patients a day in the first, you know, the first couple of months. Hmm. And we, I had home health contracts to kind of fill my time and to make sure we could pay the bills. But some of those patients come in and they do say, I remember when, you know. And so it's been a great journey. It's gone amazingly fast. <laughs> but we, my wife and I have, you know, enjoyed being able to raise our kids and to uh, see our the families, we have employees that have been with us over 20 years. So wow. it's, it's, it's great. It's interesting you talk about the, the growth and development of employees because I, I always believe that part of being a professional is a responsibility for obviously not only taking care of patients in a certain manner, but also promoting the profession. And part of that is the development, growth and development of future or current employees. And unfortunately, sometimes that means that they move on. But I don't necessarily say see that as a negative. I see it as, as a positive usually because it means that I've done my job as developing talent. You know, obviously from a business perspective, it's always tough to, to recruit, but I think overall we have a responsibility. I would agree with you. And I, and I think it's how uh, we all know from our own, from our own uh, journeys that we each have our own goals and our own aspirations and and to help people achieve theirs. We've all had situations where people are afraid to go to their supervisors or bosses because they're afraid of the reaction when they give notice or they talk about goals that are outside the, the same goals of the practice. And I just think it's important that that's not how we treat our staff. We want them to reach their own goals and help them. 
obviously there's probably been some curveballs as well. I I don't think I've ever met a private practice owner that hasn't had the odd odd curveball. What did you experience perhaps along the way that was a surprise or you know came out of left field and how did you handle that? The initial curveballs that we've that we had essentially when you go into private practice you don't know what you don't know and you need to really you need to learn really from from the get-go on how to do billing collections and how to do everything but as you grow you don't necessarily grow your staff quick enough you know and I'd say the first curveball we had was a billing collections curveball of you know realizing their copays weren't getting collected and they and some of the initial basic things that you need to have happen weren't a priority for us even. So it's not like we were training our front desk correctly or our billing collections correctly. In a world of co-pays, if you're not collecting your co-pays, you're not staying in business. And that was probably the first curveball that we we had. We did a self-audit back in year two or three and realized that, you know, 30% of our revenue wasn't being collected. You know, those are the kind of things that you have to fix quickly. And we've had, you know, you have curveballs from changes in reimbursement to staffing changes to audits. Those those all come at you and you really need to take a step back and communicate with your staff and with your executive staff and then prioritize what your steps are and then go through those steps one at a time. And so, but stay in communication with your senior, you know, your leaders and, and your staff as you go through that process. We recently underwent an audit by the U.S. Department of Labor, Wage, and uh, Hourly. And they went back through two years of every single payroll just to do it. And that was, there's no question, that's a stressful thing. And my attorney, when I talked to him, said it's the first one he's seen in 10 years. And we did great. We, he came back and said, I don't give many audits like this. You guys really don't have any. Uh, he said we owed $50 to one employee from six weeks ago based on an overtime correction. And otherwise, you really, there's no fines, no penalties, and we're, we're in good shape. So you have, to, you have to rely on the people around you and have good senior leadership around you so that you can get through those things. I found in my career it's, usually the non-clinical components or curveballs that occur rather than the clinical and you know it's it's surprising <laughs> i suppose how many i've had to deal with and the and the the variants but certainly audits are, are a common one multiple types of audits and kudos for the fact that it was only $50 i think that's the least i've ever heard somebody's had to pay so that that's pretty impressive yeah, I was very pleased, and, and I, you know, essentially my attorney's advice was you don't need an attorney right now, you just need to respond to the audit, give open communication, and they were very professional on their end, and uh, we just tried to respond in kind and give them the information that they asked for, and it required some extra work on a few of our parts, but we were able to get through it, and we got through it in about three weeks. We'll continue the conversation after a short music break and advertisement. 
Agile EMR is a comprehensive, all-in-one electronic medical records solution created by physical therapists for physical therapists. Features include everything you need to run your physical therapy practice in one place. To schedule a demonstration of Agile EMR, visit our website at www.agiletherapyemr.com. Welcome back to Agile and Me, a physical therapy leadership podcast. And you mentioned communication, and I think the communication is the key to, to most ills or issues in life. But what I think leaders and managers and owners sometimes do, which I think is the wrong thing to do, is they don't necessarily communicate when there is an issue to the team because they're they're fearful perhaps of of giving difficult or bad news. But what I've found as I've developed as a leader is it's people are are very good at manage difficult or bad news much better than I I would think or have thought in the past, as long as it's managed together and discussed, people are very resilient, aren't they? I, I would agree. And it's really about the relationship you have with your staff and having trust. The trust, it develops over time, but having that trust to each other, that knowing you can rely on them and they can rely on you. And I, I think that they can handle tough news or harder news and, and adjust to it and help you solve the problem. Absolutely. Yeah, not on your own as a, as a leader, because I think it can be pretty lonely at times, can't it, if you're not careful and if you don't, not, not necessarily depend, but not include your, your team. So I'm sure, like most things that we do in life, in retrospect and in hindsight, there's, there's things that perhaps would have done differently or more of, less of. What would you, what would you have done differently, perhaps? Well, it's interesting that you said that, and I thought I thought about this a bit because there's things, there's been key points along the, the course of our practice where we've really made progress in different ways, either expanded our staff or got better at building collections or things along the way. And, that, and the, some of the things that I would have done earlier in my career is reached out to other sources of information such as consultants or look to other professionals for business models. A big part of our growth of our practice was starting to use metrics. And, and we did that back in the you know early 2000s where we started to educate ourselves more, utilizing professional consultants that were familiar with our industry, getting a handle on the objective measures that you need to know. And the sooner you do that as a practice owner, you're going to have, you're going to be able to make decisions based on numbers and not based on your guts. And, and that definitely, the sooner you can do that, in 2020, I would have done that sooner. Making a step to hire a full-time marketing person onto your team. If you're a small practice, it's, it's a big, it's a scary moment when you have to take on a salary that is a professional level salary and not know how you're going to pay for it. But the opportunity to have someone that consistently drives in referrals and patients into your practice is the value is is easy to recover. If you find the right person, you train them correctly, and they're doing their job, that's the best thing you can do for your practice. And uh, I would have done that sooner and part of our as part of our journey. The, the last part that 
In 2014, around that time, I took a step out of treating full-time. And I still treat in the clinic. I was treating all morning. But I don't treat full-time anymore. And the, the ability to be a CEO or be a true leader, you have to have time to do the other aspects of the practice, to fix things that aren't going right, to communicate with your senior staff. And that made a huge difference in our practice was when I was able to dedicate the time to not just being a clinician, to being an administrator. Bring up some really good points. I, I think everyone should have a men and look for a mentor, whether that's kind of a paid consultancy or, or unpaid, because even though the everything is somewhat unique, it's also pretty much the same, isn't it? And I think if you could tap into somebody that's that's already done it and experienced some of the pain, I think it would certainly prevent replica, replicating that or, or going through it oneself, wouldn't it? I would agree. And actually, when I started the practice, I did look to many of people I had met along the way in my education as mentors, and they were all more than willing. But they were all expert clinicians that were my mentors. And some of them, they did dabble in private practice. But the business side of, I felt like I was very strong on my clinical skills. And I really focused on my, and, and I do think you have to, if you want to build a practice, you better have sound clinical skills that you can be confident of and that you're confident marketing. But you also need to understand the business side. And finding a mentor that helps with that side of the practice isn't something that is as easy to find coming from a physical therapy education. You, you talk about metrics and so many clinicians, I think, glaze over at best and probably consider that it's a, almost a dirty word. But I always believe that, that metrics are important, if only for you to be able to ask the right questions. Like I've said in previous podcasts, numbers don't give you answers, but they certainly help direct you to look in the right place and, and really help you understand the business, doesn't it? It does. And, and, and when you when you understand the numbers and how the numbers can relate to good patient outcomes and you start putting, because there's very clear evidence to support that the numbers we're trying to achieve are consistent with excellent patient outcomes. And when you start to match that together, you realize that the, the clinician and the therapist and the business side of you can all be on the same page and move in the same direction. And that's that's hard, because you're right. Some therapists are very worried about being told how many units they're billing and how many patients they're seeing and how long they're seeing a patient for their plan of care. But if you don't address those issues and understand why, we're trying to achieve a great outcome for that patient so that they become a patient for life, so that the next incident and the next incident, they know where to turn to. And, they, and there's clear evidence that that is 10, 11, 12 visits, not on four or five. And so we really try to make sure that our, our clinical decision-making and our administrative decision-making align. Changing tact a little bit. If somebody is thinking of going into private practice, owning their own practice, what would you say the benefits or advantages of 
owning and operating your own PT practice? It's an interesting question because there's there's definitely, as we start to get done with our COVID response, there's no question the last few years have put a lot of stress on the benefits of owning your own private practice. There's no question I'm so happy that I've spent my most of my career being an independent owner and benefits to do with creating an environment where I wanted to practice, where I thought I could best create an environment for my patients to have great outcomes, as well as create an environment for my therapists to achieve their goals. And that meant great outcomes for their patients, but also sometimes it means helping them achieve clinical specialization, helping them further their education, and helping them still be able to achieve the salaries and the, and the revenue that they want to take home. So it goes across. So being able to create that environment was something I wanted to do. So just creating good outcomes, I guess, both for my patients and for, or for my staff. Obviously, uh, like you kind of infer, it's better roses, is it really, owning your own practice? Can't, there, there certainly comes probably some some cons or certainly some challenges associated with owning your practice compared to just working for somebody else. What would you say perhaps are the, the biggest challenges associated with it? Some of the challenges that have to do with, we talked a little bit about communication. When you when you fail to communicate or the staff member fails to communicate with you, that does create stress, and you have to confront that. You have to always confront those issues. So when you're – some of the disadvantages, obviously, if you've been an independent owner and you're – we've gone through periods of time where we're, we were not profitable, and that was – I always say, if there's a problem here, essentially, it's my fault. I have to address it, and we have to find ways to overcome that. But when you're trying to make payroll and you don't have enough for payroll, that's a real issue. And there has been a time in my career earlier on where I went into a home equity to make payroll, and I did say to my wife, I'll never do that again. And But you have to be, you are, the buck stops with you, and sometimes that's hard. But, you know, you have to be a good businessman. You have to make decisions that are for the best interest of all your employees so that you can continue to provide care and provide a setting where they can all make make their salary. And so sometimes that means you have to make some hard, based on staffing, based on bonuses, based on other issues that you're trying to address. Absolutely. I think employees don't really understand, and, and they I don't suppose they should really, but the owner's the last one to get paid, not the first. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and there are many times when I, where you're, you're working at 6 in the morning, you know, I'm working on my laptop and I'm working at 7 at night doing just finishing up things, making sure I'm prepared for a meeting or, or things like that. Because at times they see me, not necessarily treating patients and I'm either making uh, other appointments or I'm trying to do some other things on the billing and collection side, meeting with insurance companies. So there's there's so many responsibilities that you have to do that happen outside of the nine to five. 
Yes, it's very rewarding. But I think if you looked at your hourly rate over your career, it probably never done it. <laughs> no, no, I agree. That's, it's good that you don't know what you don't know before you do. That's true. We'll continue the conversation after a short music break and advertisement. Most orthotic manufacturers take a one-shape-fits-all approach to solving lower body pain and symptoms. They focus on arch support for temporary pain relief, which can end up leading to inefficiencies and injuries. That's where BioCorrect is different. More than just an insert, BioCorrect is a fully customizable foot orthotic system engineered to address and treat biomechanical imbalances of the entire body. And we're backed by more than 25 years of experience. To learn more, visit us at biocorrect.com. Welcome back to Agile and Me, a physical therapy leadership podcast. I know that there's a lot of young clinicians or clinicians out there generally that that believe that, well, feel that they want to go into private practice and establish an independent clinic. What words of wisdom, advice perhaps you would give them? What two or three things would you say to them? Hey, you you really got to do this or you really got to think about this before they take the, the plunge. The advice I got when I, when I started and I did take it to heart is be very confident in your clinical skills. You need to make sure on the clinical side that you have the chops to be in front of patients and address them appropriately. So that's the first part. And I think a lot of the PTs coming out of school now are really well qualified to see a lot of patient types. And I was talking with an interview a patient or a therapist I just interviewed and about how well-trained they are in vestibular dysfunction compared to me graduating in 1992 where I don't think we did five minutes on vestibular issues. So mastering the clinical side comes first. If you want to open a practice, you also have to look into the needs of your community and where your niche fits in so that you are addressing a competitive, you have a competitive advantage when you open that up. You need to also know some of those needs of your referral sources. If you're opening up in a market that has a lot of physician-owned practices and a lot of these large healthcare networks, you're going to have a challenge trying to get initial referral sources to send you patients. That doesn't mean you can't succeed, but you better keep your overhead appropriate to start. And the and, and the point that you and I discussed a few minutes ago, finding a mentor that is familiar with your industry, familiar with what we do, that's gone through the process, I think is, is really essential to help you make sure you're addressing all those needs. And so that you don't go through as many of the, the obstacles and roadblocks that, that my wife and I did go through earlier on. Having been at it since 1996, do you believe that it's getting easier or harder or just different to own and operate an independent PT practice compared to perhaps when you started? Because I've worked for larger entities most of my career, be it hospitals or larger outpatient PT companies, which I think in some ways are a little more protected 
But what, what's your thinking with regards to how it has changed for a, an independent provider? I think that's an interesting question because when you go to open your own practice, most everybody is going to tell you it's a terrible time to open your practice. There's, there's always reasons why there's challenges and obstacles everybody's going to present to you from your family to other professionals. And, but I do think there's still opportunity. And I think the growth in our field, I do think more and more people do refer to their physical therapist as the premier provider of musculoskeletal care in the, in our markets. And I think that's a lot to do with the work of the APTA and the work of moving physical therapy students to graduating at the doctoral level. More and more direct access. So there's opportunity. There's no question that there are some obstacles. And I talked about some of those with these large non-for-profit healthcare systems in markets right now. If you're trying to compete with staff and you're a for-profit entity, the doc, the problem with the doctoral students coming out is student loan debt. And these non-for-profit agencies are able to promise loan forgiveness programs, which makes it very hard to compete in some markets for those new grads. If your new grad is coming out with a $200,000 student loan balance, and I have multiple staff with that kind of level of student loan, it's hard to compete with a not-for-profit that can promise 10 years loan forgiveness. And so that, that to me, the, the student loan debt is a big issue in opening your own practice right now because recruiting staff is going to be a challenge. I still think the opportunities are there. The competition within the outpatient, well, physical therapy, and when I talk about competition, is the various providers. You know, I don't mind competition. In fact, I, I, having done a business degree, I'm all for for kind of capitalism and the and healthy competition. But to me, it's always struck me as somewhat unfair when uh, certain hospitals or providers are reimbursed at two, three times the amount that independent owners have to operate on, but we compete in the same market for labor, and it makes it extremely difficult, doesn't it? That, there's no question. The reimbursement rates for some of these clinics is a challenge. Uh, we, we provide almost a different service, I think a higher level of service for some orthopedic patients. But I also think it's the student loan situation is such a challenge going forward that that's even going to get more competitive for these. The not-for-profits, based on the changes to the student loan programs, can now offer loan forgiveness in 10 years, and the, and the students only have to pay 10% of their, which I think is great. It's a great opportunity. But as we know, many of these healthcare systems that are not-for-profit don't really function like not-for-profits. They are very competitive, and they are very much trying to attract the same patients we have. So it's it's a challenge, and I think it's going to be a challenge for the next few years. If we look forwards, and you know, we're talking about larger healthcare system services, do you believe that the 
independent PT practice is able to compete in the long run against these larger entities, be they the likes of ATI, Athletico, USPT, Excess Select, not just hospitals, but do you, do you think that given the issue of economies of scales, payer contracting, etc. Do you think there's still a place and we can still carve out a, a good standard of living by having independent practices? I, I do think that those, you're always going to see the ability of a, of a high-level clinician being able to run a very cost-effective, smaller practice. But I do think the economies of scale that come with, and I've seen it just in my own practice from going from one large practice and some pediatrics on the side to three good-sized clinics and pediatrics and now a pediatric clinic, just by spreading out the cost of billing and collections, by spreading out the cost of our EMR and spreading out the costs among those four entities, you can see the advantages that the the economies of a larger company have, and that is going to be different, difficult. The other thing is the ability to negotiate with insurance and payers is something that the small practice is never going to be able to influence, and that is that's going to become more and more a reality as we go forward and as reimbursements most likely continue to get tightened up, we're going to have to make sure that we're sitting down with the payers and the, the bigger group you are, the better advantage you're going to have to have a seat at that table. I think also, like, like you infer really, I think there are certain advantages with being an independent practice. I think you can, you have the ability to adapt to change quicker than perhaps larger organizations, which I think is can be very advantageous at times. But also I think, like you say, if you if you have a certain skill set, I don't really think it matters whether you're a sole practitioner or have have a hundred clinics necessarily. I think I think you can be successful as long as you have that healthy balance, isn't it, of clinical skills and then biz, business acumen, isn't it? Yeah, I, I do. I think that having that, you know, being the, the one person that the orthopedic surgeons call when they have a certain type of patient, you're always going to have business. And, and you're always going to have patients wanting to come to you. But it is about creating that great customer experience and having creating great outcomes. And that, you know, as you have talked about in previous podcasts, that's an important part of it. If you continue to do that, that's a tough, that's going to be tough for any practice to compete with. We'll continue the conversation after a short music break and advertisement. Agile EMR is a comprehensive all-in-one electronic medical records solution created by physical therapists for physical therapists. Features include everything you need to run your physical therapy practice in one place. To schedule a demonstration of Agile EMR, visit our website at www.agiletherapyemr.com. Welcome back to Agile and Me, a physical therapy leadership podcast. What I believe is probably levels the playing field somewhat is direct access and over time is patients having their not only their dentist, their podiatrist, but having their PT. And I think 
if you are providing that level of service, it will pull patients for not only episodic care, but actually long-term care. And the perception of therapy will be changed and you'll have you'll have basically a client or a customer or patient for for their lifetime. Do you agree with that? I do. I do agree with that. And that's really been a goal of ours. We try to make sure our, our, our patients, when they call back up, are with their, the same therapist they had two years ago. We try to make sure that we've actually started a program prior to COVID, and we haven't resumed it yet, but we're likely to resume it soon, is that we do a year follow-up. Uh, with a patient after we do a three-month follow-up after we discharge, which is sometimes a phone call. Sometimes we ask them to come in, but we also a year uh, checkup. So we've worked out hard on developing a checkup type follow-up with a patient at a year to try to become that, that who they turn to when they have musculoskeletal pain. One of the things that I think I'll agree with is that no one really understands what we do for a for our career. Our profession is well, is not well defined. Many of TV portrayals are, were glorified massage therapists. And going through treating, I've treated referral sources who have sent me patients for 10 years, who when I treated them, would say to me, I had no idea what you did with your patients. So we have to work hard as a profession to continue to educate the population, but also our referral sources. And I think there's very few that know exactly what we do for a living and how good the experience we create for our patients. And I think that is a a key going forward that I think we're going to achieve. I believe PT is still the best kept secret, isn't it, really? You know, I've, I've gone to DC with the private practice section to lobby. And we're, I think, around 3 to 4% of the overall healthcare expenditure. And we're the only part of the healthcare system that if you increase our percentage, every other part of healthcare decreases, including prescription drugs, hospitalizations, assisted living, right across the board. We impact on all of those. And we're 3% of healthcare expenditure. So yeah. I, I think if we can work hard to make that four or five percent, it'll go a long way to helping the healthcare system in our country. You mentioned COVID. I'm almost afraid to bring it up in a way. It's been it's been pretty traumatic for everyone. And as much as I'd like to say we're completely over it, I still think it's going to to come back a little bit later in the year. But anyway, what you know we can talk about the the negative side of it for hours, but I think there's certainly actually been for me some silver lining to it in a kind of a strange way. What did you find? What was your experience as an independent practice owner? And was there anything that good came out of the the first three waves? Yeah, that's it is an interesting question because there's no question that the as a group and as a as our core group, we went through it together. You know, my my executive staff my clinical director, my office manager, and my marketing person. We really we really tried to problem solve all of that, and we included all of our staff in the major decisions that we went through. There was definitely, obviously, the negative side, like you said, we could talk about for hours, but it brought us closer together. We, we trusted each other. 
my staff was completely accommodating when we made things like we're pulling out some of the equipment, we're separating in the space. I didn't get any negative pushback on any of the policy issues that sometimes were very hard to take from simple ones like putting plexiglass up in between our therapists, which really probably didn't amount to any difference in, in infection control, but it was the appearance of we're trying to make every step we can to vaccinations, to all the issues that came up. So I think the we did it together, and I really think my staff rallied, and I really did appreciate that. I really... I'm really proud of how well they weathered the storm with us. And our numbers recovered in 2021, but the cost of doing business had increased a bit. So it wasn't really like it's a, we had still had challenges to overcome. And, and I think even though you're right, I think we might get a bump in numbers again in 2022. I think, I think we're through the we're going to adjust to it so much easier and we're just going to you know, I think move through this one with less hiccup to the overall practice yes I I used to get stressed when I used to hear of kind of inclement weather or a hurricane coming through or get completely bent out of shape if a patient drove their car into the front of the reception or something but but after covid I I certainly my perception of adversity and management adversity certainly changed <laughs> yes i i agree when you when you had asked me the question about roadblocks i did i described covid as the mother of all roadblocks <laughs> so and there was no question it was and it was you know as we know as everybody that's lit, would be listening to this podcast it was very scary in the beginning as we didn't know what we were to expect and and I think it's been trying and it's been a challenge, but I think we're on the other side. I believe that those groups, leaders, managers that were collaborative and inclusive of their teams throughout the entire period communicated regularly and came up with decisions that the group were bought into and were involved in the decision-making rebounded much quicker. Those companies that haven't even got back to 2019, I do wonder whether part of that reason is because they just didn't manage the the first and second waves in, in that manner in which you've just talked about. I agree that communicating with your staff and getting the trust and the buy-in was essential to getting through it. Now, unfortunately, as always, we're running out of time. I I kind of always ask, well, usually ask my guests what they believe the future holds. So I'd love to get your perspective on how you think the outpatient PT profession um, will be in you know, five to 10 years time. I think it's positive overall because I believe that we're going to do a better job as a profession promoting ourselves. But love to get your thoughts on, on where we'll be in, in the future. I would agree with an optimistic outcome. I, I do think that we are consistently the premier musculoskeletal providers in, in our markets. And, that, and I see excellent practices in the 
and I'm, I'm centrally located compared to Erie, Pennsylvania and Buffalo, New York. And I know of many clinical practices that are just top notch in all these markets and, and are and are meeting expectations of the community, are referred to by the orthopedic surgeons and the other uh, musculoskeletal providers as uh, referral sources. And I think PTs really have developed that part of the market. And I think that is going to continue to improve. I do think that we have to continue to work hard with our professional organizations, both in my, in my state, New York State, as well as the American Physical Therapy Association, in order to make sure that we are reimbursed appropriately. And that is always going to be a battle. That's going to be things that we have to work on, and we have to dedicate time to the, I think, working on that part of it, continue to develop the outpatient model to be more, to educate the markets based on what we do, as well as the physicians. And I think we also need to continue to work toward specialty certification. I think it's an important part of our practice that therapists work toward that. We right now have been able, we have, we have therapists that are manually certified. I personally am McKenzie certified. We have therapists that have worked toward different certifications in hand specializations. And, and I think that helps our practice diversify our patients and, and be representative as experts in the market. Thank you, Pat, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Great insight. And if nothing else, hopefully uh, potential private practice owners will at least find a reach out and find a mentor or a consultant or a coach, if nothing else. So great, sure. great perspective. So thank you. Well, Richard, again, thank you for doing these podcasts. I think they are one of those uh, sources that we can find now as private practice owners. I've turned to a lot to uh, these type of venues to learn things about coming event as well as about how to run a practice and how to make corrections. So thank you very much for doing these. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Alliance Physical Therapy Partners and Agile Virtual Care. For more information, please visit our websites, alliancepTP.com and agilevirtualcare.com. Make sure to follow us on social media and LinkedIn where you can learn more about Alliance Physical Therapy Partners and Agile Virtual Care.